sitting back at the crown shopper. Mr. Son of a Bitch, let's play some cards. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> Welcome again to the Waxing the Por- Porpoise podcast. Um, you're joined by your host, G-Baby, and the usual suspect, Steve. How are you doing? Great, Jim. Always good to see you. Yeah, likewise. What you been up to? Oh, not a whole lot. Got this little mini golf, not mini golf, but uh, this golf tournament coming up this weekend where I think I'm the worst player in our group. So looking forward to it, hoping not to be the liability of the group. So is it, are are we talking best ball or scramble? It's, I don't even really know what the format is. I've never done one before. So we'll just have to see. And the guy that I'm playing with is an absolute machine. So I'm hoping hoping to not drag him down. So I'll probably bring him like a back brace and some protein powder because he's going to be carrying us the whole, <laughs> the whole time for sure. Well, if it's best ball, that's fun. Cause that's like my favorite version of golf because it's like you got the ego stroke of you have a team and when someone makes a good shot it like nullifies your shitty first or second shot you know and then it allows to for like you know you get a good chip in or something or you make a long putt unexpectedly it like it feels more like it has a little bit more weight to it you know yeah i i don't think it's a best ball or or scramble which is also a popular kind of format Oh, okay. I think it's two. It's two man teams, match play, but different formats. It might be like an alternating shot, or I'm not sure. I'll. I'm. I just assume I'll find out when I get there. And it's going to be a nice, cool 105 pretty much all weekend. So. Oh fuck that. Yeah, I'm just hoping our opponents die from the heat. That will be the only way we can we can pull a W. <laughs> oh man, even even though it's going out for a round on the links 105 sounds fucking miserable yeah and it, it hasn't really been that hot yet so it's going to be kind of a rough transition you know it's not yeah. like it, it's been slowly heating up yeah i saw it's been pretty temperate out there weirdly i remember when i went out there three weeks ago now ish um i remember it feeling like unseasonably like nice like one day it was like overcast and it was like 68 degrees in early May, which is like, I guess not unheard of, but it was, it was pretty wild. And since then too, yeah, I, cause I watched the weather out there still too, as a force of habit, even though I moved, but, uh, yeah, it hasn't, it looked like there was a couple of days, like one day it shot up to like 95 or 97 or something like that. But yeah, that's a pretty stark transition to fucking 105 with no humidity. Yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty mild so far, but what's going on with you? Oh, not a whole lot. Actually, to a follow-up, what you've been doing or up to question is after having done this podcast for a little bit now, do you find yourself wanting to reach out for more, like, media or, like, watch a movie that you probably wouldn't have before or not quite yet? Um, Same old, same old. Not really. More so when I'll hear I'll hear like a a movie that's well known brought up instead of just thinking like oh yeah well I definitely haven't seen that either I'll I'll sort of think oh that might be a good 
That might be a good topic to cover or, or a movie to see for the pod. Genre, as it were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I've actually one new thing for one thing for me is I started a garden for the first time ever. <laughs> oh, okay. Fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, namely, the the biggest uh, one or the one I'm most excited about is uh, pumpkin patch. Oh no! Yeah, he wants a uh, pumpkin. <laughs> <he> w- yeah, <laughs> and it's not just any old pumpkin. I saved seeds from last year of some heirloom pumpkins that we got. So we got like this big ass, like it's a big old chunky, like blue green one. It's called a, a Jaradale, and uh, and then like a Cinderella yeah. style. That's like you know the big ones that are like smushed down and they're like kind of like light pink and then you're just standard garden variety carbon pumpkins god damn this is good pod <laughs> <laughs> that's not all uh, i also got broccoli tomatoes two variants two variants of uh peppers jalapeno and shishito some purple uh bell peppers assorted herbs <laughs> and some strawberries and marigolds. Fun. Marigolds are supposed to keep the bugs away or something, right? Yep. We did a we did a little bit of research and tried to match up in the the raised beds that we got uh, some things that would be you know that would help each other out. So and a blueberry bush. Fun. Yeah, I'm sorry. Be nice. Yeah, I always thought it was like boring, but now that I'm old uh, and boring, it seems like super dope. <laughs> I'm like, now, dude, look at those pumpkins shot up. Now you can officially putter around in your garden. Yep. Nightly routine of watering. Yeah, yeah, we had a garden for a little bit. It was fun. It almost produces too much stuff. So if you have if you have friends or family nearby that you can offload some of it. Because there's nothing worse than going through all that work, getting a bunch of food, and then having to waste it. Like, you know, either it just dying on the vine before you take it off or having to throw it away. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I, I hope that that'd be a good problem to have. Because my fear is, like, that I just didn't do shit well enough or right enough. But it is a first-time venture. But, yeah, I have plenty of, like, neighbors around here that would probably just be tickled pink if I gave them a grocery bag full of shit. So... Yeah, I hope I have that problem. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's what's new for me. Um, so, uh, without further ado, I guess we'll get into the the topic uh, for this week, actually, which is uh, it's a little bit of a departure from uh, you know unexplained or uh, true crime or a movie review that you haven't seen. This is actually a special episode where we are discussing. Um, your current vocation, uh, which is pretty interesting, uh, and I can't remember how long you've been doing it, but we don't have to get into that. But anyway, you want to take it from there and kind of give us a, a preface? Yes. So, uh, listeners or viewers are probably somewhat familiar with the the concept of card counting, made popular by uh, movies like I don't know Rain Man. I've never seen it, but I think that's a part of it or 
The Hangover, you know, Zach Galifianakis' character does it briefly. <laughs> uh, 21, probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life <laughs> with, with Kevin Spacey, who I look nothing like. Your counterpart, your doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah, uh, a Kevin Spacey movie about card counting really just tickled you and <laughs> another one of our mutual friends. <laughs> Dude, did you remember that picture that he sent? He's like, is Steve okay? Yeah, <laughs> how I Kevin remember. Kevin Spacey Hilarious. pointing at the fucking chalkboard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck, yeah, so, so uh, car- card counting, it falls under a, a bigger umbrella of what's called advantage play, which is basically if, if you were to walk into a casino and I know we've kind of alluded to my, I've got a, a sort of tumultuous relation relationship with the native American people. Cause I spend a lot of time in their casinos and getting walked out of them. So uh, we can get into some of that in a bit, but if you walk into any casino, almost that is my cat saying hello. Uh, basically everything in a casino, every game can be beaten under the right circumstances. So without, without going into some of the, the more closely guarded secrets, we'll just, we'll just stick to card counting because if anybody wanted to spend 15 minutes Googling, they could figure out how to do it very easily. Um, yeah. So the, the concept of card counting is a lot simpler than people think. Learning how to do it is easier than people think. The difficulty comes in actually getting the time in and getting the money out. So the I'll try not to get too far into the weeds. We'll, we'll keep it general. But if, if you have questions about more specific stuff, I'm, I'm happy to go into it. But I, I don't want to talk past people or get too, you know, up my own ass about it. So basically, if you think about a game like roulette, right, and if, for those who aren't familiar, roulette is like the big wheel that has, I don't know, 36 numbers on it and then one or two or even three now green zeros on it. So and so there's the board, like the table with all the numbers. You put your chips there and then they spin the wheel and whatever slot the ball lands in pays that number, right? And I'm sure everybody knows what that is. A game like that, just to keep the numbers round, let's say has a 5% house advantage. So... For every $100 wagered on on roulette, the house expects to take $5, right? So somebody could come in, get lucky, win tens of thousands of dollars. People come in, they can lose tens of thousands of dollars. But in the long run, that game is going to return basically 5% because of the way it pays out and uh, and all that. So with a game like... So that 5% edge is static. It stays the same. Every spin of the wheel, it's 5%. Unless for some reason you get a roulette wheel that's biased or uneven, and then you could, you could in theory, exploit that if you knew what the imbalance was. Like but, this, this roulette table has a two-degree camber. I'm in. Yeah, and, but, I mean, that so much of that shit is, like, laser-leveled and computerized, and yeah. if they had a wheel that was imbalanced, they would, they would catch on pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, my point is... The edge in roulette and a lot of those games just stays the same every time. In blackjack, the edge actually swings back and forth between the player and the casino, depending on the remaining composition of cards. Uh, for those that are not familiar, 
blackjack or 21 can be played with multiple decks. It could be single deck, double deck, three, four, five, six, eight deck. It doesn't matter. The, the principle is the same with a little bit of, of a different application, which we can talk about later. But as cards are removed from the deck, we'll call it, the edge either goes more towards the player or more towards the house. When smaller cards come out, it's better for the player. When higher cards come out, it's better for the house. So uh, despite what some people think, you're not literally keeping track of every card as it comes out. What you're doing is basically keeping a running count. As each card comes out, it's either a neutral value or you add one or subtract one. And as, as the deck gets played, you want to... Uh, you want to bet as little as possible when the house has the advantage, or preferably zero if you can. And then once the edge starts to swing in your favor, you ramp your bets up proportional to the size of your edge. So uh, does that make sense so far? Yeah. Okay. So um, not at all. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. So. Wait, wait, before, before we get too deep, I'm, and this, I, yeah. I'm really curious about this because I just read up on this last night too, like that they, in uh, blackjack parlance, they, they refer to like the, the housing that holds all the decks that are being played as the shoe. Yeah. Did you so know that? So if you're, yeah. So if you're playing like a single deck or a double deck game. Well, no, no, no. My question you, is, I, I saw that they put, they can put like four to eight decks into yeah. that fucking thing. It's like, how do you manage all that shit with that much variation then? Or that, that many so, possibilities? Because they shuffle all that shit before they put it into the shoe, right? Or is it all like in yes. line? No. So it is, it is shuffled. Uh, what I was going to say real quick is like single deck and double deck games, they can usually deal by just holding it in their hand because it's not that much. Like two decks is not a, a, a lot. Right. Once you get above that, that's when they'll put it in the shoe because it's obviously too much to hold in your hand. And <laughs> yes, what you're, what you are keenly uh, tuning in on has to do with the, the house edge. It's different for like every type of blackjack game. There, there are rules variations that affect, that affect the house edge, but also the number of decks affects the house edge. So the more decks there are, the higher the house edge is because like you were alluding to, you might have a really good count, but there are so many cards left in the shoe that it's less exact. So the way you would count a single deck game is the same as you would an eight deck game. And that is you, you have your running count, but well, I guess I should back up and say there are different count systems you can use. There's, there's probably a half dozen that are widely used and probably a dozen that are less widely used. Uh, the one that I use is probably the most common, which is just high-low, where you're just adding one, subtracting one, uh, and then you divide, which, coming back to the, the single versus eight deck. So you, you have your running count. Let's say it's 12, okay? So if you're playing a double-deck game, with a 12 and an eight deck with a 12, it's different because what you do with that running count is you then divide it by the amount of 
decks yet to be played. So if you're if you're halfway through a double deck game and you have a running 12 and there's only one deck left, then you would divide it by one. Then you have a true 12. But if you're one deck into an eight deck shoe with a running 12, there's seven decks left. So you're you're barely over a, a true one, right? You're not even at a true two yet. So the 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 more decks, the sort of slower the variations are mm-hmm. because you're dividing by such a, a, a much larger number with what's remaining. Um, so single deck and double deck games become uh, a popular target for card counters. Mm-hmm. The... The pro- the problem, quote unquote, with that is they are also the most closely watched games in the casino are these good single deck and double deck games. Right. I've literally heard pit bosses say about a six deck or an eight deck game like, oh, well, I mean, you can't no, you can't count those. It's just you just can't do it. And when you hear that, that is a green light to play there forever, you know, mm-hmm. or until yeah, somebody's gonna- smarter. I was just going to ask, does that guide your thought process? And like, if you see like a four deck or a six deck versus a one, two, are you going to take the low hanging fruit? But it sounds like there's more math to it than because you have the variable of heightened attention from the pit bosses. So what's yeah, your so go-to there, usually? There's So the short answer would be shoe games, like six deck eight deck because you can get more hours in usually but then to my follow-up question with with the bigger shoe games does that mean that so it's not impossible it's just you have to put way more time yes into it yes so okay uh we i had i briefly mentioned this concept of the long run so I'll, i'll get into that a little bit more without getting too mathy because it's boring. So imagine imagine we, you and I had a 100-sided dice, right? 52 of them were I win, 48 of them were you win, right? Now I have an advantage because I have two extra spaces on that. Or four, but, you know, it's 52 versus 48. So if we rolled it and we bet a dollar on each roll, you might win 20 rolls in a row, but I still have the advantage long term. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we rolled it 50 times, you might be up $35 or whatever. But if we rolled it 10,000 times, that 52, 48% advantage that I have would, would bear itself out, right? It's sort of, it's commonly referred to as like the law of large numbers, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so this concept of the long run in blackjack refers to how long it takes to overcome the variance of these up and down swings, right? So you, you can be playing with an advantage and lose. Like you're going to lose just barely less than half of the time you play and you'll have these big swings up and down. But if you play long enough, the math works out in your favor. So I, I say all that to come back to the, the more decks there are, the longer it takes to get to that long run because there's more variance in those games. But to, to answer your earlier question about which game would I pick as my target if I walked into a casino, one, one other thing that comes into account is 
most single deck games now are six to five, which on a blackjack or a natural, traditionally they would pay three to two. So if you bet 20 bucks, you would win 30 bucks, right? So it's three mm-hmm. to two. Uh, a lot of these single deck games, because they're such a target of opportunity for card counters and the, the house edge is so low that they'll just convert it to six to five, which I, I guess I should have said earlier in the roulette example where the house edge is like 5%. In blackjack, it's, depending on the rules of the game, it's half a percent, roughly. So it's small. It's a small mm-hmm. edge that the house has. It's, a, it's, if not the most popular, one of the most popular casino games, partly because people know it can be beaten, so they think that they can, they can go in and beat it, even if they don't have the math down perfectly, right. which, which would answer, some people will ask, well, if it's beatable and pretty easily beatable, why don't they remove it or change the rules so it's less beatable? Um, it's because they're counting on people to not have a perfect game, right? So the fact that it is beatable gets degenerate gamblers to come in and play it, thinking that they can gain an edge over the house. But if you don't play perfectly, you you will not make money at it because Unless when, you just when get that lucky. edge... Yeah, when that edge swings in your favor, one or two little mistakes can evaporate all of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but to long-windedly answer your question about target, uh, a lot of factors would go into it. So if, if I know it's a tolerant place, I will just find the best game possible and play that. It, some of it depends on how much longer I'm going to be in town. So if, if I'm going somewhere... I will usually play more conservatively early on in the trip and then more aggressively later because you don't want to get yourself burned in a city where you're planning to be for a week in your first day by just playing balls to the wall as aggressively as possible. I'll usually kind of do a lap of everywhere in town that I want to play and just get an idea of, you know, heat tolerance, game selection, and and then try to make a plan after that first day or two of what I want to hit when kind of rotating shifts and days and and then just go hard the closer i get to the end of the trip but if it's a place that seems a little like they're sweating the money a lot of times what i'll do is i'll go into a casino find this is the best game this is the second best game this is the third best game a lot of times i'll just go to the second best game and especially when you have like a double deck game and a six deck game if you you can usually tell how closely they're watching both of those those games, um, and how much how much heat they're giving those players, and how much they're sweating the money, and yeah, a lot of shoe games they'll just let you go and, until somebody tells them that it's time for you to leave. You know, on on single deck and double deck games, because because the the variations in count happen faster. Because like I and I hope this isn't too like boring or inside baseball, but with the, with the single deck and double deck games where your divisor is so much lower, your, your true count is going up and down much more frequently than it is on a shoe game. Mm -hmm. So uh, a pit boss who generally is an idiot, even, even they could stand there, watch, you know, uh, a, a double deck shoe quote unquote will last five, 10 minutes, depending on how fast you're playing. So they'll see how your money's going up and down. And if, and if they can tell it's corresponding with the count, 
it doesn't take them long to figure out what you're doing. But on a shoe game, it can take them forever because you might be betting the minimum for an hour. If you get like four shoes in a row where the count doesn't go up at all, you're, you're not going to be varying your bet at all. It's when they start seeing it is when they'll take notice. So there, there's lots of different ways that they can figure out what you're doing. Okay. Um, some places, the only thing they take notice of are big wins. And I think those places, they only know, they only take notice of big wins because they don't want your play to get reviewed later and have that floor person questioned on why didn't you notice this was going on or whatever. Right. Other, pl- other places, you will get absolutely zero heat from the people on the floor until somebody just walks up behind you and taps you on the shoulder. And in that case, the heat's coming from surveillance. Mm-hmm. That can either be just one go-getter piece of shit who happens to just be watching you because he's bored. Mm-hmm. Maybe they see you... Maybe they see you winning. Maybe they see you doing uh, like a, a bet variation that piques their interest. Or like I said, they could just be bored and picking some random person to watch. Or they're trying to like make um, a name for themselves. Yeah, I have seen uh, <laughs> some. I saw it was a Facebook post of some piece of shit casino in like Pittsburgh or something where they were congratulating one of their dealers for catching a card counter and telling staff and getting that person kicked out. Uh, and if you're a dealer that do that, that does that, fuck you. That's, that's what we would call a hero dealer. And they are probably the worst, worst people on earth. Like there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's less, I can't really think of anything. I respect less. I had a dealer in Las Vegas who was watching me play. She was nice enough, but she saw that I was moving my bets around and figured out what I was doing. And she, she steps back from the table and looks over at her pit boss and I'm staring right at her. I'm 24 inches in front of her face. And she looks over at him and like waves him over. And he comes over like, what, what do you, cause she's not saying anything. She just waves him over and then just looks at him and he's like, what? And she, she just like barely turns her head to look at me and just like points at me. And I'm like, are you fuck? Are you serious? What, what was that? And he, and so, he had a funny look on his face, like, thanks, real subtle, you know. Yeah. So then he just stands there and watches me play, and then a minute or two later, the count skyrockets. You know, it goes through the roof. So I go, I go to push out my max bet, and I, I'll, I'll split to two hands sometimes for, for reasons that will be disagreed about by some people, but other people will understand. We don't have to get into that. But uh, so as soon as I push out these two stacks, he just grabs both of my hands and like pushes them back. Like, nope, no more. I'm like you bitch. But yeah, hero dealers are the worst. Um, you are a coward, son of a bitch. Yeah. I mean, another <laughs> another thing that's a dead giveaway for them is there is a basic strategy chart. So for every hand combination, there is an optimum play, right? Uh, Degenerate gamblers do not play properly. They do crazy shit that doesn't make any sense and they do it often. Mm. So there, there are a few, there are a few very common hands that are played incorrectly by 
99% of the general public. So if they see you play in these hands properly, that can be a big indicator, you know, whether it's splitting certain hands, doubling certain hands, uh, surrendering. I don't know if you're familiar with surrender. It's not super common all over the country. So if you have a 16 versus dealer do that in blackjack, so is it the same concept of like folding a hand in poker? Yeah, essentially, but you get half your bet back. Oh, so, so that's, that's nice. And it's very valuable. And the only civilians who use it, use it wrong all the time. So that's a, that's a good giveaway for them as well. So I'm curious how much, how much of like the, uh, the theatricality and like, you know, the mind games, like, like, uh, like the dance of the mind goes on when are like, do you, when you're playing, do you make a conscious effort to like, okay, I'm going to play these two or three hands or I'm going to space out like every fifth hand. I'm going to try and play like a tourist or a dipshit. Like, does it ever come into your thought process? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's one I've heard a lot. So something I said earlier was about, I guess you could break it down to the science of card counting. It's very easy to learn. I could probably teach anybody who passed fifth grade math how to do it in an afternoon. The tough part is the art, if you want to get too <laughs> navel, navel gazy. So the, the profile of the average card counter is a young, white, American male with some facial hair. So, you know, without, without giving a picture of myself, it fits the profile, right? <laughs> and I've, I've ran into a fair share of card counters out in the wild, and almost all of them sort of fit that same profile, okay? That's so weird. that is one more thing that ticks the scale. If you're, if you were getting heat and they're suspecting you of being a card counter, that's just one more thing that adds to it. So what you want to do is not look like a card counter, right? You want to look like a gambler. Uh, and gamblers and card counters look very different. And I didn't really think much about it because I didn't spend very much time in casinos at all before doing this. Yeah. <laughs> but but you, you start to realize that there is a type of person who goes to the casino a lot. And then when you see somebody who doesn't fit that, I can still remember this one kid. I was at the I was at the Bellagio in Las Vegas, which if you've seen Ocean's Eleven, that's that one with the fountains out front. Nice casino. Uh, they get, you know, they it's a busy casino. They get a lot of people coming in and out of there. And this kid walks in and he starts walking towards the blackjack tables. And just by the look of him, I was thinking this guy's probably a card counter because he. He looks like a skinny wristed math dork and he's walking through and he's just walking through a casino and he, he just looks nervous. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not how, that's not how gamblers look. Gamblers are, they're riding that high of, and I don't even think the high is from winning. I think the high comes from almost losing. 
Yeah. You know, cause, <laughs> cause I, I've, I've observed enough of these other gamblers where they almost don't even get happy when they win. They, they get mad when they lose. They don't necessarily get happy when they win, but they get a relief when they win from thinking they were going to lose. Yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird psychological thing. So if you're, if weird. you're just sitting at the table and you look like a math dork and you're, you're looking at every card as it comes out, you're looking at, uh, so if you, if you, you know what the shoe is, right? That's where the cards come out when they're done and the round is over, they put them in a discard tray and you use that to determine what's left in the shoe, right? So if it's a six deck game, you can't necessarily see how many cards are left in the shoe. Some of them, you, they're not clear and they're at a weird angle, so you can't always see. But you can see the discard tray. So if you're trying to figure out what your divisor is to get your true count, you look at the discard tray, and if there's a deck in there, okay, well, there's five decks left, so now I know my divisor is five. Nobody else, no gambler looks at the discard tray for any reason ever. It just, it's not something they do. Well, that so, leads me, why wouldn't they fucking hide that then? It's a good question. Some places do. <laughs> some some places obscure it with like this weird box that goes on top. Yeah. Uh, I I could see a gambler not trusting if they didn't leave them there because then typically what they'll do is when when the shoe is over... They'll take that deck or six deck or whatever, and they'll either put it in a machine, which is an automatic shuffler. And so the casino, they want to grind their house edge, right? Every round they're making money in their mind. So instead of pulling the six decks out, breaking them down, shuffling them, wasting five or 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. they have a machine that has two sets of six decks. So when the round is over, they take this one, hit the button, they pull out a fresh set, put this set in, hit the button, it goes down, and then while they're dealing the next set of six decks, the other one is shuffling in the machine. But I could see gamblers getting paranoid if they can't see the cards because uh, I haven't even mentioned there's a there's a thing called a continuous shuffle machine, which you'll see at lower levels where it's a big black machine that sits next to the table, and in between every round they'll scoop the cards up and put it in the top and it's just constantly shuffling. So those games are not technically beatable in the same way through counting because they're shuff- they're basically shuffling after every single round. Mm-hmm. And so card counters don't like those games, but I've also seen plenty of regular gamblers who don't like those games because they're, they think that it's rigged uh, right. in, you know, in the casino's favor. So there, there is a certain, there's a line that even gamblers won't tolerate certain things if they feel like the casino is being shady. But yeah, so another long-winded answer to your question is looking like a gambler will buy you some time, but it's just, it's, it is just a matter of time until you do one of those things that gets somebody's attention. Yeah. And then they'll, They'll either watch you on the floor or they'll run an evaluation on you from surveillance. Some places even have software that it might even alert them. Like, you know, a thing ping pops up like, oh, hey, uh, guy on table seven, he's been raising his lower and, and lowering his bets as the count goes up and down and they don't even need to watch you. I had I had one guy. Oh, God, I was playing in the in the it was in the morning. It was like eight o'clock in the morning in this casino. 
And I like to play alone because I can play faster. And playing faster means more money. So this kid comes over who's been up all night drinking, doing blow. Mm -hmm. And he is, he is a cartoon of a human being. <laughs> and, you know, he's, he's winning. Damn, son, where'd you find this? Oh, God, I hate this guy so much still. <laughs> and so he's like winning a bunch of money, playing like shit, criticizing what I'm doing, and I'm just getting my ass handed to me. And so him and his buddy finally leave. And when the, the pit boss or whoever the floor manager, sometimes a guy will just show up out of nowhere. That's usually what, what happens. It's not always the guy on the floor. Sometimes it's someone will come over, whether it's the casino manager shift supervisor, whatever, what, wherever they, whatever rock they crawl out from under, he came over and, and we had a good laugh about those other guys. And, and he was like, yeah, it's, it's funny, you know, you can be playing right and losing. And these guys are playing like absolute idiots and winning. And so some, sometimes those, if you're cool, if you're cool with the casino staff, sometimes you can get a little bit of information out of them. You know, you don't want to overtly be like, do you, do you guys, so, uh, are yeah. you guys database participants or do you <laughs> scan my license plate? You know, but you can, you can sometimes get a little bit of information out of them. Like, oh, you know what, what tipped you off? Or, you know, do you get a lot of, you get a lot of advantage players that come through here? I mean, because there's, there, there's a school of thought that's like, never admit to anything. Just pick up your chips and leave immediately. Um, but I don't necessarily subscribe to that. But a lot of it yeah, is situation dependent. Black, the world's not black and white like that. It's not. There, there is a lot of nuance. Um, if that's yeah, an understatement, I mean, <laughs> it seems yeah, like this I mean, is a giant ball of nuance and variability rolled up into a yeah. giant clusterfuck. So, so when they first approach you, I try to think of it from their point of view, right? Especially if you're losing. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've been kicked out of a casino and I'm getting torched, which <laughs> sucks. It sucks. It sucks really bad when that happens. So like, when hey, they're man, approaching you, it's like... Fuck. So I try to put myself in their position. So if somebody's like, you know, the word comes down from on high, like, hey, this guy's a card counter. You need to go kick him out. And he, he's stuck for 3500 bucks. It's like, fuck, this guy, this guy could freak out right now. I mean, casinos are dens of miscreants, so <laughs> they're probably expecting, you know, there's fights all the time. There's people on drugs. Yeah. So a lot of times they'll approach you like, hey, can I talk to you for a sec? Uh, we've, we've decided one of the funny things that they say <laughs> is we're going we're gonna to go ahead and invite you to not play blackjack anymore. <laughs> But, you know, you're, you're more than welcome to play slots or whatever. But if you're cooled with them, you can see the, the sort of stress lift off them pretty quick because they're expecting a confrontation. And if you're like, I get it. No big deal. You're just doing your job. You know, they're, less, Thanks, they're, man. they're less likely. Yeah, they're less likely to remember you if you're cool. They're more likely to give you information. And what I've found most importantly is they're less likely to give you shit at the cage. So when you're getting kicked out, it, it's, a, it's a good rule of thumb 
to not cash out when you get kicked out because they, not always, but a lot of times their best cameras are at the cage, which makes sense because that's where the money is, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if they get if you, if they kick you out and you go to the cashier right away to get your money, now they've got a great picture of you that they right. might not have got already. They chances are they already got a good picture of you, but if not, now they have one. Yeah. So in general, it's a good idea to just leave when that happens. Come back, cash out later, whatever. But if it's like your last day in town. Or if you're in a casino in the middle of nowhere, sometimes you don't have a choice but to cash out. And if you're a dickhead, they can make your life a living hell. They'll just they'll just refuse to cash your chips. Best case scenario. Worst case scenario, they will confiscate your chips and not give them back to you. What? And that sounds illegal as is, fuck. Yeah, but here's the thing. And this kind of circles back to my sort of hate-hate relationship with <laughs> tri- tribal land. Um, basically anything goes on tribal land. And if you have a problem with it, um, you can take it to tribal court and guess, guess how that's going to go. Yeah. You know, you're going to, you're going to spend a bunch of money on an attorney for them to be like, no. So that reminds me of that Thunderheart uh, when he's like, yeah, you go on 54 and a 50 or 56 and a 55. He's like, you can contest it at tribal court if you like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So getting the money out becomes priority number one at that point. They'll hassle you for ID. They'll just refuse to cash you out. I mean, even in a place like Vegas where you would think the law would apply, um, it doesn't always. I, I was at a casino in Vegas where it was a super, super sweaty casino. And what does that I mean, just, sweaty? I went, so. So there's there's a distinction. What do you mean by between, that? Yeah. So you might hear me use words like heat or sweat sort of interchangeably, but sweaty refers to basically any casino that gets nervous with action, right? So oh, okay. if somebody comes in there betting thousands of dollars, even if they're just a degenerate gambler, certain places will just sweat that kind of action because they don't want to take a huge loss, you know? Mm-hmm. Heat. Heat more refers to uh, undesired attention to your advantage play that you're pulling off. So cert- certain casinos will sweat any amount of money, any win or loss. I've seen civilians get kicked out of casinos who were not even counting cards because they're just sweaty as shit. And that's hilarious when that happens. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this casino was very sweaty. I went on an absolute god run in like half an hour and just cleaned a shit ton of money out and I went to leave and they wouldn't cash. Like I didn't have any heat at the table, zero, but they wouldn't cash me out because it was, it was over some arbitrary threshold of money that they had decided they needed ID for. So in general, you don't need to provide ID for anything below $10,001 because $10,001 triggers a CTR, which is a currency transaction report, which is required. Uh, if you, let's say you have 10,500 in chips and you decide to cash out 6,000 and then you come back two hours later and you cash out the other 4,000, whatever, that is a felony. That's called structuring because you're avoiding the CTR and they think you're money laundering, which I have definitely seen people do in a casino. And it's hilarious because they're, ob- they're so obvious about it. Like this guy came in with 
I think it was five thousand dollars. Garbage bags of fucking money. (laughs) This this one guy in particular, he came in with five thousand dollars in twenties. Bought in. There are twenties all over the table. Jesus. So this is a five dollar minimum table, too. By the way, so he gets. So the the amount of time because they they lay each bill out on the table, right? And usually it's like five in a line sometimes by five lines. So she would lay out these five by five rows of twenties, verify all of them with her little pen. Right. And then she would have to scoop those, put them to the side and do five more lines of five of all twenties until she gets up to the $5,000. And he's like, okay, let me get all blacks, which are hundred dollar chips. So he gets 50 black chips. And so he tosses one back and is like, Oh, actually let me get, a uh, hundred in red, which are five dollar chips on a five dollar table. So this whole process of him buying in takes like ten or fifteen minutes because the dealer is like, I don't know if she had like cerebral palsy or like something was wrong with her hands where she was not very <laughs> uh, coordinated. So she was struggling with every bill. She had to verify everyone. The pit boss had to come over every time she like scooped the money and put it to the side. Anyway, so we're finally ready to, and the whole time I'm just sitting there, the only other person at the table looking at this guy, like, what is wrong with you? (laughs) But I just, I just assumed he's just another gambler, right? You see shit like that all the time. So he gets his 49 black chips and his hundred dollar in red chips. He plays three hands at $5 a piece and then gets up, goes over, cashes out at the cashier and then leaves. And (laughs) I'm, I'm sitting there like, what like and the dealer just looks at me and she's like he's he's laundering money i mean it's pretty obvious and she's like we see it all the time we know who he is because he has a player's card like we have to report that type of stuff because it was so obvious right right but yeah so anyway back to this piece of shit casino but she's like but who who are we to stand in the way (laughs) yeah they don't care because they just made a few bucks off him yeah but so, yeah, so this casino, they were like, uh, no, we're not going to cash you out with that ID. And this is and, Vegas. Uh, what's that? This is Vegas. Yeah, and this okay. is uh, one hour into my week-long trip, and I'm already getting shit. So I'm not going to, like, make a stand and die on a hill of, like, you don't have to have my ID by law. Uh, actually, by law, you have to pay me. But, you know, anyway, so I ended up calling gaming and they were a huge non-help also. Ended up getting the money. But, yeah, all all of that just to say that sometimes just getting the money out can be the biggest struggle. What if you were to sit on your chips for like a day or two and then come back and try to cash them out? Yeah, I mean, you could do that. I mean, this was a casino that... This was no. a casino I wasn't really planning on coming back to because they oh. didn't have a lot of games available. It was kind of just a fluke that I ended up playing there because it was close to where I picked up my rental car. Um, so, and I, I just wanted to get the money and get out of there. But yeah, I mean, it, it is smart to kind of break up your cash outs to avoid uh, trouble side, like that. Side tangent. What is your opinion? Have you ever played at the Excalibur? 
Uh, yeah, the last time I was there, they didn't have a single playable game. It was either six to five or those CSM machines that I was talking about. They might have like a high limit area that may have a decent game, but the last two times I was there, I checked and it was absolute dog shit. Okay. I Same with like New York, New York when I checked stuff. there. Yeah, the I mean, the, the, state, cool. the state of Blackjack on the Strip is, it's pretty sad actually. There's, there's not very many playable games on the Strip and the ones that are, are usually at a higher limit because they just have so much tourist traffic coming through yeah. happy to give over their money on shitty games that they don't really need to try to attract the more serious gambler like right like uh there are some places off strip that have pretty decent games but it's because they're trying to lure not the professional gambler quote unquote but the the more savvy who know that six to five is a scam and it so on six to five game i was saying that the normal blackjack edge is like half a percent roughly on the six to five game it's almost two percent depending wow. so i mean yeah or i think it's like 1.5 whatever it's like over triple so any anybody who really knows blackjack is going to see that and be like i'm not playing that shit even if you're just a regular gambler you would hope but yeah so just to go back to the theatricality of it all because that to me that's kind of amusing and it seems like it'd be like a fun aspect to get into um but it seems like you'd have to balance it with being too fucking bonkers about it but like in terms of uh like attire like Mm -hmm. uh clothing like embellishments to like you know facial hair hair color like i guess i'm trying i'm i'm taking us down like a clandestine like fucking james bond or austin powers path but have you ever thought or have you ever seen anyone come in just like dressed like bonkers or someone that looks like they're not themselves like dressed up like like it doesn't really match this person because um, when you were talking about that, I was I was picturing you in like you know one of those like Las Vegas like all white suits with like white like alligator shoes and like a, a tropical like Miami undershirt and like a gold chain and just going in there like trying to be freewheeling like acting like a gambler like ha- has it got to that point where you think you'll ever need to do that or would you even try that? So you want to. At the end of the day, you want to just blend in and look like another gambler, right? So um, another thing that helps is having a good reason for being where you are. In in Vegas, it's easy because there's so many tourists there all the time. Yeah, but I'm there here are, with there my are wife ca- celebrating our 15th. Yeah, but there are a lot of casinos in the middle of nowhere that if you don't look familiar to them, they're going to... I mean, a lot of dealers are chatty because they're just bored. So they'll right. be like, oh, what brings you to town? So if you don't have a good excuse and you're fumbling like, uh, you know, that can that can give you away, too. So having a good backstory is key. I, I sometimes I'll usually look up like if I'm going to Reno or whatever, I'll look up what's going on in Reno that this week. And if it's like a rodeo or a concert or something notable to just throw out there like, oh, I'm in town for the whatever, you know, and that that'll 
at least give you a little bit of cover. But as far as the act, which is what you're referring to is uh, how good your act is, you don't want, like, because you know me, I'm not a super outgoing, <laughs> talkative, like bombastic personality. Right. So if I were if I were to try to do that and be Don Johnson or whoever it was you were sort of describing, <laughs> it would it would be Nash it would be it would not only be like draining on me emotionally and physically, <laughs> it I, it wouldn't necessarily jive. Like it would look unnatural, right? So yeah, the man. From, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you sort of need to highlight your attributes or exaggerate a little without it seeming unnatural. So, you know, you see all this, casual... this, this premeditated partner, you got to highlight yeah, your exactly. attributes. <laughs> said ho for show. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, sitting there silently staring at every card looks very weird. So you need to be able to be competent enough to keep this count going in your head while also having general conversation with other people at the table, the dealer, the pit boss. Uh, and you almost want to be annoying to the pit boss so that they don't come around. Right. So, <laughs> you, know, you know, there's, there's different ways one could do such a thing. I won't give away too many of my secrets, but <laughs> yeah, you almost want to be too nice. Maybe, uh, yeah, well, I, I won't go too far into that, but have you ever thought going into like full tourist mode and like, uh, like acting like, like an older gentleman, like wear like, you know, some of those like big Jeffrey Dahmer square glasses and like a comb over and like, you know, and, and yeah, really you like need, you need develop to be able like to that. change. Yeah. So without packing a steamer trunk full of costumes everywhere you go. Uh, it helps to just have a couple different looks that you can rotate through. I've got, I've got this kind of like little white wrapper one that I sometimes will bust out like a, like, <laughs> cause it looks very different than how I normally look. But I will say some people are very, very good at recognizing other people. I've found like, I was, I was playing in a casino that I was planning on hitting hard for like a week. <laughs> and so the first day I went in played, I played with this dealer for maybe like half an hour. Uh, and then he rotated out the next day I came back. I looked completely different, you know, different shirt, different hat, different mask, because this was all, you know, in the middle of COVID. Right. So all this guy could see was my eyes and he rotates into my table and he looks over and he's like, oh, hey, what's up, man? How did, how did it go the rest of your day yesterday? I was like, oh, oh shit. Damn. I thought I looked like a completely different guy. And this guy was fooled for zero <laughs> seconds. <laughs> he had you made. Uh, yeah. And zero uh, you, you'll, you'll hear some people uh, lament the proliferation of facial recognition software as the reason why they get picked off in casinos with no perceivable heat. But I think it's more more likely that some people are just sharp and they recognize people. And even if they don't, if even if they're not able to place you, they might think like, I wonder if I recognize this guy as someone I've kicked out before. And some some of these casinos use databases where you can go in and filter by, you know, 
age, weight. age, race, whatever. Um, and yeah, you can, you can sort of use that to narrow it down. So it sounds like the key is like, like you find most places is, uh, or in general is a stri- striking some kind of balance and then kind of just going where the motion takes you, you know, like if it's right, like another thing I was curious about too, is like, how often do you go like dead nuts into something? Like I'm going to put in X amount of hours, or if you're like feeling lucky, like if you're feeling like a little superstition and you're riding a good wave, will you just cut it off and be like, Nope. Or I'm playing the long game. Yeah. I mean, you have to just get the hours in there. There have been times where, uh, just for, just to book like a mental win. So I have cut a session short or even a trip short. If I'm just getting my teeth kicked in hour Mm -hmm. after hour after hour, and I finally come back, back to even back to a profit. And let's say I'm an, I'm a couple hours short of what my trip goal was, but I finally clawed back, uh, some wins. Sometimes I will just take it as a win and just call it because yeah. it's so demoralizing to go through some of these swings where, you know, you go down big, you fight your way back, you get back to positive, And then in the last 15 minutes, you go back even lower than you were at your lowest. So yeah. I, I guess I should, exp- so I should explain the concept of AV versus EV. So EV stands for expected value. So there's software that you can use to do this, but so you you plug in all the conditions of a game, like, okay, let's say it's a six deck game with the following rules. And, uh, well, I mean, one of the biggest things to look for in what makes a quality blackjack game is the penetration. So six deck game, are they dealing four decks? Are they dealing four and a half, five, five and a half before that cut card comes out when they, so the cut card is the indication that it's time to shuffle, okay? The deeper that card is, the better it is for the player. It's It means your count gets more and more accurate the closer you get to the end. Be- because of what you were alluding to earlier, you've got all these cards, that, you know, you don't know exactly what's coming. Well, the closer you get to the end, that number go- gets higher and higher. And I bet you'd be... You'd be interested to see when you plug these numbers into this software, how much more valuable a game gets for every quarter deck, half deck, deeper into, into it they deal. So yeah, you'll plug in how many rounds per hour, the rules of the game, how deep the penetration is, and that spits out a number. For, for the ease of math, let's just say it's $100 an hour. That's your EV. If you, if you were to look at a bell curve, that $100 an hour would be right in the middle, okay, mm-hmm. at the, the, the top of the bell. You're going to have huge swings up and down, but if you reach that long run, it will work out to about $100 an hour, okay? The, if you're playing a game that's worth 100 bucks an hour, you could win 5000 in 15 minutes, or you could lose a similar amount in a, in a short amount of time, right? But these these big swings up and down, they even out in the long run, right? So for every big $4,000 loss, you'll have a $4,500 win. And 
So the EV is your expected value, what the game is worth hourly. AV is what your actual value is. So you can you can overlay these charts together. And if you if you were to imagine a hundred hours at a hundred dollars an hour, it would be just like a straight line, right? Up and to the right. right. That would be your EV line. Your AV line is gonna look like uh, an EKG, right? Or right. a Richter scale or, you know, these big up and ups and downs. But if you're playing properly, you will see it track on that same sort of up to the right trajectory. Right. Um, I don't remember what the question was, but yeah, that's the difference between EV oh. and yeah, I think AV. You're just oh, penetration. Yeah, so, and then yeah. another term that I forgot. Yeah, so it can be tempting to quit while you're ahead, in quotes. Yeah. Or, and th- there are definitely other sort of gambling fallacies that you hear that are very helpful to repeat if you're in a casino because then like it makes mantras. you sound like a gambler. Yeah, and I feel I, I feel so bad for dealers sometimes because they have to they have to listen to the same horse shit all day every day. <laughs> you know, like oh. Oh, 16, you know, you need to, you either need to always hit it or never hit it against a 10. You, you got to be consistent. It's like, that, no, because no, you're wrong, you know? <laughs> so for example, we were talking earlier about basic strategy. So, you know, basic strategy dictates 16 versus a 10, for example, you hit that. But there is a world of things called deviations, which is where you would deviate from basic strategy. Um, so a, a deviation, so, so for example, if you have a positive count, you wouldn't hit a 16 against a 10 because now the likelihood of getting a, a 10 and busting is higher with a positive count. I see, um, like caveats, yeah, corollaries. So, yeah, so that, that can get you it can be a double-edged sword. It can help you. So um, I'm trying to think of a good example that would be relatable. Um, so like a, a 13 versus a 2. Basic strategy says to stand. But a deviation would be to hit at a certain negative count. And that type of thing will piss off other players because... Most that have a basic understanding of basic strategy know that you're not supposed to hit a 13 against a 2. But when you deviate from that, it's because you have more information than they do. So you're doing something that looks stupid to them, which is beneficial for you. Because the dumber you can look to a casino, the better. Mm-hmm. And you're just you're giving yourself an even bigger advantage by learning. I mean, the, the number of deviations you can learn is essentially infinite. But there's you know, probably 25 or 30 that are easy to learn and pretty easy to remember. You don't have to, you don't have to remember every deviation because like the more you learn, they're at higher and higher positive and negative counts. But if you, you don't really need to learn all of those crazy ones, you need to learn the most that are in the, you know, the middle of the bell curve basically, Mm -hmm. but it can also hurt you if if they can tell you're a good basic strategy player and you start making deviations, that that could also alert them that why is this person who's been playing perfect basic strategy now not? And uh, a lot of those deviations happen at higher counts. So 
if you're doing strange things at high counts, high counts are when you're going to have your bigger bets out there. So if you're playing a six deck game, you could be playing $10 for an hour or whatever the minimum is. And then all of a sudden they look over and you have two spots of 300 and you're doing weird shit. That's going to raise, you know, a red flag. <laughs> Damn. But yeah, to answer I- your earlier, to answer one of your earlier questions about, uh, would you ever do something to sort of throw them off the scent? That's referred to as cover. There's different kinds of cover. There's free free cover plays, which is like acting like an idiot, talking, you know, trying to look like a gambler as much as possible to throw them off the scent. Then there are, there's cover that costs you money, which would be playing incorrectly, uh, not betting as much, or you know, not dropping your bet or raising it as aggressively. All right. of that stuff costs you money, and you can actually calculate. You can actually calculate how much money certain things cost you, based on like the size of your bet, and the house edge at the time. So, like, let's say you're you're playing a shoe that gets super hot, and you just have huge bets out there for the entire end of the shoe, and then the new shoe starts, and you go back down to ten dollars. People might look over like that's that's really weird. This guy was just riding a heater yeah. and now he just dropped down to almost nothing. Like that. I mean, that's, that's what a card counter does. Right. Right. So he needs if some you, milk. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you wanted to employ some cover such as betting big off the top of a shoe, mm-hmm. because that's not something a card counter would actually would typically do that one thing alone might throw him off. Right. And then you could go back down to the minimum, the next bet and you can calculate you know, how much that decision costs you like that one bet. If you started with a bet of a hundred bucks instead of 10, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't cost you a hundred dollars in EV. You might lose that bet, but it really cost you a dollar or 50 cents, you know, in, in the long run, because I mean, chances are you, you could win that bet too. So it's not, it's not a positive EV thing to do, but it doesn't, it doesn't cost you as much as, oh, fuck, I just blew $100, which is how much I expect to make in an hour on this one bet to try to cover. But, I mean, your edge is so small, you really can't afford to do too much crazy shit like that. Right. I mean, one of the, and one of the main reasons why is it doesn't always work. You know, yeah. I've, I've thought about certain things and I've talked to people who, they have these elaborate cover strategies. There's, a, there's actually, uh, there's an old book, it's called Turning the Tables in Las Vegas, blah, blah, blah. There's a follow-up. It's called Burning the Tables where he talks about some cover plays that he employed to get longevity. But there's no guarantee that's going to work. So really, you're just costing yourself money in the long run. Man, there's it, it's, it's interesting because blackjack, it seems like there's a shit ton of like hard data, like analytical statistical crunching but then it melds it does a mind meld with like the abstract or like the theatrical and like the nuance and like maybe not so much as going with like gut feeling but you know trying to balance those two worlds like of like playing mind games like the the idea of like covering and like or even changing your appearance like it's interesting that those how those two things work together and it, it seems kind of overwhelming hearing about it like 
all the variation involved and all like the subtle nuance like dealing with this pit boss or this dealer someone else comes over to the table because then you're dealing with like external factors that you're trying to juggle while counting cards it, just, it seems like super overwhelming it, it gets easier with practice like anything else but if if you struggle with interpersonal interactions it's going to be tough, you know. I definitely feel like I have a dash of Asperger's or something, and I think most people who are into card counting kind of do. It's just sort of a theme that I've found. Um, but if you you have to be able to do that other side like you're talking about. You can't just sit there and play like a robot. It would be so much easier if you could. Yeah. It, I mean, you might you might stumble across that unicorn game where – they're not paying attention to you at all for one reason or another. And in those instances, go for it, you know, just, just just open the throttle fully. Yeah. Just go into full autism mode and hold (laughs) nothing back. Dude, it's funny that you you, you mentioned you hadn't seen rain man. It's like, dude, you need to watch rain man because then that'll also inform, like it'll make that scene in hangover even more impactful like when he's going down the steps and all the equations or when he's going on the escalator in the suit and all the uh, fucking equations I, I, like, i've seen that scene in rain man but i haven't i haven't watched the whole thing it's actually it's just a good flick but um the, the and, i mean even in, in even that in that scene small. they're like no one can count a six deck shoe <laughs> All right, so I guess to shift gears a little bit too, I was I was kind of curious too more. What I think what's most intriguing to me is like the um, like the research and like you know scouting and like building mm-hmm. like a dossier on places and like these kinds of things. Like the clandestine part of it seems really interesting. Like the, the pre planning and like those kinds of things. Um, did you go into it like, okay, I want to count cards and then learning that methodology. And did you just go into it and then learn all these other things through experience or did you, were you able to prime yourself beforehand? So, I mean, the only reason I really got into it was we were, we were planning a trip to Vegas. I had never really gambled at all. And so I was kind of just trying to teach myself the basics of different casino games. So I, I could play a little bit if I wanted to and, and know what I was doing. Pretty quickly realized the edge in most of those games are just unreal and it doesn't seem fun at all. And I, I, I was somewhat familiar with card counting as a concept, but I really started getting into it and reading about it. And uh, there are a lot of books out there that talk about some of the the less technical points in it. Uh, so, yeah, it's it was sort of like y- you can learn the technical stuff super easy online if you just Google it. Um, but then, yeah, some of the the more subtle points. Um, you can you can learn from some of the books and stuff, but some of it you just you can only learn by picking it up. And right. sort of doing it, doing it on your own, um, or talking with other people who have similar experiences, and it's crazy. Casinos are so unpredictable. You know, you might 
you might have one experience there one day or one week or one month, and then it's completely different the next time you're there. So I was, I went to a certain market last year and I got no, I had no problems anywhere. Every place let me play as long as I wanted to. No big deal. They just seemed like asleep at the wheel. So I planned a return trip and I went back and they were on me everywhere immediately. It was insane. So, and unfortunately three of the casinos in that region are of the same property. Mm -hmm. So once they get you at one, they're now aware of you at all three. Like in their database or however they manage. Yeah. I mean, they'll usually send just a little heads up to their other properties. Like, Hey, keep an eye out for this person. He's in the area. And you got a what shifty, he's doing. shifty character on the way. Yeah. And I mean, so like I had another, I had another experience where this one was actually in Seattle and they, they love communicating with each other up there. So <laughs> yeah, that, that trip got cut super short because they just, they send your picture around to everyone. Some places will only send it to their own properties. Right. Uh, but C- Seattle, they're, they're very, uh, well, I wouldn't say friendly with each other, but they're, they're good at sharing pictures. And that's a place you don't think about when it, you think about gambling. I mean, it's not a huge leap because there's a lot of, uh, reservations or there, there's a big, seems like there's a bigger native presence in Washington. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that, that they do have like reservations and stuff like that, but, uh, or, or uh, tribal games, but it seems like a weird region for gambling. Like it's not one mm-hmm. that jumps to mind right away, at least for me. Yeah, like, you think I, the big I ones wouldn't like have Vegas. thought so either prior to all this. And I guess I should explain. I've I've kind of alluded to like getting kicked out or whatever. There's there's like a there's a spectrum of how they combat card counters, right? Because I, I don't know, I guess maybe I should have said at the very beginning, uh, you're not doing anything wrong. You're just, you're just using your brain to figure out when you should bet more. Right. But I, I, I have met a lot of people who think it's against the law, but as of now, uh, thinking is not against the law, but <laughs> who knows? So there's different levels of how they can deal with card counters, right? So one of them is, just like a simple countermeasure. Like they might come over and be like, Hey, just so you know, uh, I'm going to flat bet you, which means you can bet whatever you want, but you have to bet the same thing. Every hand, you can't go from $10 up to 500 and then back down to 10, whatever you're betting, you have to bet that every hand. And I, I think some places like to do that instead of just kicking you out because then you kick yourself out, you know, cause it's like, okay, well, I can't play that way, so I'm not going to. So have a good right. day. Right. There, there are certain states that aren't legally allowed to kick out card counters, so they'll they will use countermeasures instead of just kicking you out. Right. Whether it's yeah, whether it's just limiting limiting you to one bet, or you know, there's there's other things they can do. And then the next is what they call back offs, getting backed off, and. of the time, they're very cordial, I've found. I don't, I wouldn't consider myself like 
of physically imposing force to be dealt with, but I've never really had security try to, you know, bow up to me very hard. I mean, uh, sometimes they'll bring security guards with them, but I think that's just sort of to preempt any, anybody getting squirrely on them. And you can tell these guys don't give a shit because it's like, Hey, um, go kick that guy out for not doing anything wrong. It's like, God, that's gotta be such a shitty part of their day. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, but, but every once in a while you'll get, you'll get the little pit bull or chihuahua who thinks he's tough and right. wants to yap at you. But I mean, he's not going to do anything right. back in the day when, when the casinos in in Vegas were run by the mob, they would put your ass in a barrel and dump you in Lake Mead, which they're finding a few of those bodies these days. I just saw but that now, it's drying up but and they're now, fucking finding skeletons and barrels and shit. God damn. Yeah, but now now they're all corporate owned, so if they if they beat you up or put your hands put their hands on you, they're facing like a huge lawsuit and they don't want that because they're right. they're they are almost literally just printing money all day, every day. Right. So it's like, just kick him out. There'll be a, another tourist coming in behind him to gamble away Johnny's college fund. Right. But yeah, so that's a normal back off. They'll just come up and be like, hey, you know, the, the friendly invitation to not play yeah. anymore. I mentioned earlier. <laughs> that's uh, so fucking funny, that wording and saying it like so nicely. Like, we'd invite we're gonna you to not and play invite this you game anymore. Uh, to fuck right off. And I mean, sometimes they'll say you need to leave. Sometimes they'll just say you can't play blackjack anymore. Then the the level after that is they will actually trespass you or try to, which is them basically saying, um, you need to leave. He beats me. Come back. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. I had to get it in this episode. <laughs> Classic. Such a great movie. Uh, yeah, so trespass is when they're telling you you're no longer allowed on the premises. And if you come back, they'll arrest you. Uh, it's pretty... It's a bluff. I mean... Right. It would work... So, okay. In in theory, yeah, they could. But in in reality, it's very, very unlikely for a number of reasons. But... To just quickly go through the the most likely. So let's say you go back somewhere where you have been trespassed before. If they don't have your name, which keeping your name clean is like the first commandment of card counting is not giving up your name or ID or anything if if you can avoid it. We're going Uh, on a podcast and discussing it. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So if you've been trespassed before but they don't know your name for sure. Like, could they call the cops and, and could they physically detain you and call the cops while they confirm that it's you or not? They could, would they? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's really not smart if they have the wrong person because now it's potentially like an unlawful detention Yeah. and you, you get into, it's a, it's a, it's a dangerous place for them to go. So the next step would be the cops get there. Could they arrest you for trespassing? Maybe. I mean, yeah, but would they? No, I'm possibly. Because really the idea of trespassing is like you're somewhere where you're not allowed to be and you're refusing to leave, right? I mean, right. It, it's different. If I were if I were to come to your house un, uninvited, you wouldn't have to ask me to leave necessarily before I was arrested for trespassing because 
I have no reason to be there. Right. It's a little bit different with public places because yeah. it's public. I mean, yes, it's a private business, but it's open to the public. So if, if the cops came and they said, this, this guy's been trespassed before and, and you as a card counter is like, I'm just trying to leave. There's no problem. I'd like to leave. I'm not refusing to leave. They are yeah. detaining me and keeping me from leaving. The cops are just going to want it to go away more than right. likely. So they'll be like, how about he just leaves? We'll give him another formal trespass warning, which is, you know, just as impotent as the first one. So then let's say they do arrest you. Is the DA going to want to charge you for a simple trespass for yeah. not actually really doing anything wrong? Yeah, maybe, but are they? Possibly, probably not. It seems like a real waste of time on their their part. So, yeah, it seems like a, it'd be a rare occurrence for it to go to that full extent of someone actually trespassing and hauling them out. What's the yeah. uh, what, what we got to land the plane here? Uh, yeah, in a minute. But um, one thing I did want to ask too, while I can remember it, is. What is, like, the hairiest situation? Have you had any, like, what's the most exceptional uh, circumstance you've been in thus far? Maybe not, not so um, much if you were, like, scared or, like, just where you felt yeah. the walls coming in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I have been fortunate to where I haven't had any, like, physically dangerous situations. Like, I've never been drugged into a back room. Um but a, a couple do come to mind where I've had like my car surrounded by tribal police in the parking lot of a casino. And that's kind of freaky because yeah, <laughs> it, the, it's tribal police. I mean, and one of the guys was like speaking over the, his walkie talkie in some weird tribal language that I couldn't understand. And mm -hmm. they like, wouldn't let me leave. And we were just at this weird kind of stalemate where I was like, I'm not giving you my ID. So I don't know what you want from me. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. You can't stop me from leaving. Um, I had, yeah, I had one. So going back to the trespass thing, it in, so in Las Vegas, there are a lot of casinos that are owned by Caesars, for example, or a lot of casinos that are owned by MGM. If you're at the MGM grand and you get trespassed, that doesn't apply to the Excalibur, which is also an MGM property. But that's not the way it works. They can't trespass you from a different property. That's right there. Yeah, we won't get into the reasons why. But so I was in Vegas one time at one of these properties that has multiple in its chain. Mm -hmm. And so I was playing. The guy comes down. He was a real dipshit and said, you know, we're trespassing you. They think they need to read you this little card. That's like as a as a owner occupant of this property you know it's like okay all you have to do is tell me i can't come back and that's fine quote unquote to satisfy a trespass so he's like you're hereby banned from all blank properties do you understand and i'm like yeah that's fine so i let i leave uh i go immediately next door to a different casino which i didn't realize well let me back up a little bit because it was funny so the guy asked for my ID when he's trespassing me. I, I obviously refuse. And he's like, okay, well, I'm going to need your name. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. It's Scott Peterson, which I don't know if it's like a regional thing, but uh, Scott Peterson it, uh, allegedly murdered his wife and unborn child in the Northern California area probably 
what, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, this was 2002. So yeah. Oh yeah. Cause that ago. was, yeah, that was sort of closer that to your was, neck of the woods. Yeah. That was in my hood, dude. That was on the fucking newspaper and on the TV every day for like 18 months. And then either before yeah. or right after it was fucking, uh, uh, Gary Condit and, um, Chandra Levy, Chandra Levy. Yeah. yeah that was the so, news cycle for me for like four years. Yeah, so I was being kind of a smartass with this guy, like, oh, yeah, my name's Scott, Scott Peterson. And he just, he had this look on his face, like, really, He's are you fucking with me? Swill. <laughs> and so, yeah, he fills out his, his idiotic little paperwork that is meaningless. And Chase, so I go next don't door. do that. Yeah, so I go next door, and to be, to be fair to me, I didn't realize it was a part of the same chain because, you know, it's not like it's in the name. It's just two random casinos that happen to be open. Uh, owned by the same chain so i'm sitting there playing for five minutes maybe and i look over my shoulder and i see two cops and that guy standing there (laughs) now he's in this property and i'm like oh shit is that that same guy (laughs) and and i'm kind of putting him putting two and two together like oh this must be a sister property or something and then he walks up behind me with the two cops and is like, Scott, need to talk to you. <laughs> Scott. Yeah. And, uh, hey, so I get up. Scott. <laughs> yeah. So I get up and I turn around and I realize like, oh no, these aren't, these aren't like Metro PD, which is what I thought that he had called the cops to actually come arrest me since I was violating the trespass, yeah. whatever. Hello, they real were cops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, thank God, you're not real cops. They were, they were, I don't know if they were security for that casino or if they were just like a weird strip type security detail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Civilian so then he, he, read, he, he read me the whole thing again, which was like, okay, um, we just did this next door and it means nothing. But yeah, go ahead and go ahead and read it as much as you want. And then the cops just walked me out but i think yeah that was probably the closest i ever came to getting arrested quote unquote that i can think of but yeah yeah i was looking over my uh log like because i keep a chart and like a like a record logbook, and it's funny how many things you forget you know like kind of just looking like oh yeah i remember um i don't know how much time you have if you want to hear like maybe one or two just funny stories real quick yeah i can probably wrap it up quick um yeah, one of the first time I realized exactly how shitty the casino industry is and everyone that works there, I was at I was at this casino in Vegas and it was one of the off strip casinos, so they offer a good game to try to get people to come play there. And it's maybe ten or eleven in the morning and I'm playing next to this lady who looks like maybe forty, forty five year old athletic soccer mom type, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of weird, kind of out of place to be in a casino at like Wednesday at 11 in the morning. So we're playing and I can see she's drinking something, but I can't tell what it is. It turns out it's alcohol and she goes from normal soccer mom to blacked out in one comatose drink. with her eyes open in, you know, 1.2 seconds. Like I almost <laughs> literally like looked forward, looked back at her. And it was a completely different person. And she is wrecked. 
She is so drunk. <laughs> the dealer, and she's winning. She is winning so much money. And so and the, the dealer. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the dealer would like, because they kind of point to you when it's your turn to help you. Yeah. So the dealer would like point at her, and she would look at the dealer and like look down at her cards, and then like look over at us. Like she had no idea where she was or what was going on. And so finally the dealer like kind of just pushes her money back and is like, she's just too fucked up to play right now. So the lady like gets up, pulls out her car keys and starts walking for the exit. And I was like, I can't let this lady drive. And, you know, I can't in good conscience let this lady leave. Yeah. So I called a pit and like, I'm not going to go chase her. Cause I was in the middle of doing shit. So I called a pit boss over, uh, and with the, with a dual purpose of giving him a stupid task to do to keep him busy, which is always fun. Right. Like asking him for a water or something super demeaning <laughs> like that is always fun. Uh, treating him like a waitress. <laughs> I'll have a beer. So yeah. Oh God. <laughs> oh fuck. So so I was like, hey, um, just so you know, this lady is hammered ass and she's walking towards the parking lot. You might want to send somebody after her to make sure she's okay. And his response was so not what I was expecting. Instead of being like, oh, my God, thank you for the heads up. We'll make sure she doesn't drive and, you know, we'll get her a room if, if we have to or whatever. He was like, don't worry. She will not slow down the game anymore. She's gone. Don't worry. You guys, you, you guys can keep going. I'm sorry if she slowed you down. And I'm looking at him like, and I even said, I was like, no, that's not at all what I'm saying at all. I'm, I'm saying she might go kill somebody and you might want to stop her. Uh, and he's like, okay, yeah, no problem. You guys are good. Keep playing. Go ahead. I'm like, wow, this guy is just an absolute fucking imbecile. But not getting it transmission yeah. is not being received yeah i know you've got a hard out so we can we can wrap here if you like yeah um yeah that was that was uh educational for sure that was uh interesting it's kind of weird too because ever since you you've taken up uh doing that i i held off on questions about it like kind of in the back of my mind like oh, that'd be a good idea for a podcast and then when you suggested it off air like hey yeah we should do that i was like oh cool so i just kind of kept those bottled up but yeah it was cool to learn like the the nuance involved and like you know some of this the the technical strategy kind of stuff went over my head a little bit but it's interesting nonetheless how those two worlds like interplay and then not only that but like committing to um like making it a livelihood or like a part of the daily grind just seems like yeah without being demeaning, it just seems like super alien to me. Yeah. And you know, it might even be something that we can revisit at a later date too, because it, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of positive stuff, but there's also a lot of really shitty parts of it that, it, that I sort of wish I would have known or if I did know appreciated more when I first started. Um, so I don't know if, if people want to hear more or have questions, maybe we could save them or do something at a, at a later date. Cause yeah, we yeah there's, there's, there's obviously quite a bit that goes into it and travel is crazy. And yeah, that's one yeah. part that we didn't get into. I was curious about like, uh, 
kind of more of the nuts and bolts of like how you structure, how you plan, like where you're going to go, like seasonality, all those kind of mm-hmm. those other variables that pro- that I'm sure play into it, like seasonal, like holiday type stuff when like more tourists mm-hmm. around versus less and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone uh, has any questions or uh, you would like to hear a part two or expand on this, uh, give us a shout either, uh, via email at wax at waxing the porpoise.com uh, or our socials, Instagram waxing the porpoise or Twitter at waxing the port. Um, also too, if you want to give us a, a review uh, or a like on uh, Spotify or, or Apple podcasts, uh, that would be welcomed and very much appreciated. Um, I guess looking forward to next week, this is full disclosure, this is zero planning, and I honestly don't really have the bandwidth to invest in <clears throat> a researching like an unexplained, so I think we should just go movie again. Yeah, I'm down. Um, and then maybe try to, we'll try to just change it up purposefully for the next episode. Maybe off air, you and I can talk about uh, a topic like two weeks out that maybe we can factor in some research on did you ever look at anything about high high brazil i did or, when or you did mentioned that it and you? Do you think I, have that'd since, be enough? I have since forgotten everything about it that i read okay that's one that it's been kicking around but i'm i'm a little unsure about how much content or how much out of that we could pull to make a full episode but we we can talk about that later so um instead of doing a, a roulette to keep with the theme of, of, mov- of movie <laughs> selection um there's like three movies that i that i want to pick that i think would be cool um so one is in the mouth of madness that just came out on shutter um or it's an older movie it's from 94 it didn't just come out it's available on streaming on shutter right now it's called in the mouth of madness starring sam neill who is that Jurassic Park guy? Yes. Yeah. Jurassic okay. Park dude. Uh, or there's uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is uh, Warren Beatty in his prime uh, with Julie Christie. This is from 1971. It's an absolute banger. It's like a West, kind of a Western, but not really. Um, really good. And then, or I was thinking about uh, the Limey. Directed by Stevens, Steven Soderbergh. It's kind of a revenge tale. It's got some... I think you would like that one a lot, actually, thinking about that. You want to do the limey? Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. Okay. Let me see where it's available real quick right now. It stars uh, Terrence Stamp, who you're probably not familiar with at all. Um, it's probably a safe assumption. Oh, cool. It's on Tubi right now for free with Tubi. ads. Uh, it's also on a an assortment on that Canopy streaming service we talked about. It's also free with ads on Vudu and the Roku channel right now. Okay, cool. So the yeah. limey. Yeah, that's a that's a good fucking movie. You know who's in it is uh, Radimus from uh, Waiting. Radimus, oh, the, the guy can't cook. be. He's like, yeah, you make it flat like paper. Louis oh, Guzman. what's his name? Louis Guzman. Yeah, he's in a ton of shit. He's so awesome. I love him. Um, nice. The Goni. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wish I had that bump. The Goni! Uh, alrighty. Well, that's it for us. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time where we cover 1999's The Limey, directed by Steven Soderbergh. Check it out. Alright. Thanks, gang. Bye. Don't ever tip a dealer. Bye. <laughs> he beats me. Straight up. Pay him. Pay that man his money. money.